Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a global original podcast. I'm Al, and that's JK, and this is the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Coming up on today's show, we are talking to a military advanced nurse practitioner, Carl Southern Popham, to bust some coronavirus myths. Oh, this is so I'm, I'm gutted I missed this episode. I genuinely am. I know that I'm not, you know, I, I know that I don't do many interviews. However, I'm genuinely gutted that I didn't do this one because this is yeah. fascinating. This and, and any sort of myth or anything that you've heard down the pub, it, oh, actually no, in the beer garden in the pub socially distanced, <laughs> it's probably all bollocks. And and this guy will sort it out for you. He will tell you what's what. Exactly. And there is there is so much crap floating around on social media oh. and wherever else. There is so much. I guess misconceptions and nonsense, and a lot of it can cause people a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, yep. completely unnecessarily. And so, once and for all, we're gonna we're gonna we've got some basic questions. We're gonna bust some myths, and we're gonna lay down the facts. And before you before you say it, it doesn't necessarily mean that all that bollocks came from Russia. Just so you know, I just want to throw that out there. You know, okay? <clears throat> but it could have. But it could. It have. could. You, have. Know, you never know. All right then. So in, let, let's should we just do it? Let's crack on. Let's go for it. Well, welcome back to Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Um, I'm incredibly excited with this interview because not only have we got um, Carl Southern Popham, um, the advanced nurse practitioner in defence, but also you're a very good friend of mine. So it's really nice and comfortable to have you um, you join me. How, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you, Al. And it's a real real pleasure, a bit of an honour to, uh, to be able to join you on, uh, on the Dad's Net today. So thank you for the invite. Really appreciate it. Oh, I'm maybe all emotional. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's see. Obviously, we're talking about fatherhood. Um, you know, this is a podcast about fatherhood. So let's start there before we get into the medical side of coronavirus and bust open some myths. Um, because you, you've become a dad in a fairly... It's not unusual, but it's a fairly unique way over the last uh, last two years. So do you want to just give us a, a little bit of context and kind of how you ended up being a dad? So me and my, my other half, Lee, we decided uh, many, many years ago when we met that we both wanted to be uh, parents. Um, and obviously being two men, very difficult to uh, conceive. Uh, funny that. So uh, adoption was really the uh, the only option really for us to uh, to go down with regards to, for us anyway, to uh 
to, to create a family. So two years ago, um, through SAFA, who are a military uh, adoption agency and support agency, um, we went through the adoption process. Uh, it took about nine months, um, quite intense training, um, had to develop a portfolio, had to do placements. Um, and then once we were accepted for adoption, we found our gorgeous twins, Leighton and Lacey, uh, who were five years old. And uh, they've been with us now for a year and a half which is excellent. And we've got a lovely old family unit, which is great. That's so nice. And and so how, you know, obviously you have jumped in at, you know, you've jumped in at five years old into fatherhood. So how have you found, how have you found that? Um, it's been challenging. I won't say, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, in adoption terms, you're dealing with five-year-old behaviour with additional traumatised behaviour as well, um, obviously due to their, their, their background. So it was extremely difficult, very challenging times. But I can safely say the challenges um, were phenomenal because it developed our bond and our relationship with our kids, you know, much greater than uh, you could ever imagine, really. Um, you know, there are elements where we sort of, we do sometimes regret the fact we couldn't go through the toddler phase with them and see them as babies. Um but what we've got now is two awesome little kids and they're we're really proud of them and they've done really, really well. That's awesome. And obviously I know you guys personally and I can testify to that nature that it's a, it's a beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful family that you guys have created. So um, kudos from, from me as well. Um, okay, I mean, wicked. I mean, it's great that you guys um, are doing what you're doing. Um, but also, you, you're an advanced nurse practitioner, so you're a medical professional. And um, I know that for, uh, well, mainly for Jen, if there's any kind of ailment or need for medical advice, she's often on WhatsApp <laughs> to you. Um, so what we wanted to do, Obviously, 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 we're in the midst of um, the coronavirus pandemic, and you know, within Dad's Net and and wider, obviously, but within Dad's Net, there's so many questions floating about, and people asking, um, you know, whether there, there's kind of the guidelines are useful, or and they hear guidelines not just from the government, but they also hear them from their mate down the road. And what we really wanted to do was just unpack and unpick some of those questions. Um, and put them to you and kind of get like a definitive answer on some of those questions, if that's all right. Of course. More than happy to help. Okay. So the first question is based around the, the mask debate or in, uh, as the Americans say, the mask debate, which I find hilarious. Um, it's, it's, it's how effective... <laughs> it's how effective are face masks. Mendo's always good. <laughs> well, on Don't Tell Your Mum, uh, we, we haven't gone, gone an episode without one, I don't think. Um, how effective... Well, no, no, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. Yeah. How effective are face masks? That's the question. Okay, so so the, the the issue we've got with face masks at the moment is that there's a lot of a lot of to and fro in regards to whether they are effective or not. Now, realistically, we don't know much still about the virus. The virus is there are still a lot of unknowns about it. But one thing we do know for sure is that individuals wearing masks in confined spaces it will reduce the chance of uh, infectivity and transmission. So to that, to that end, due to the risks associated with this virus, any way to mitigate that is good. So good practice would be to wear masks. Now, um, we know for a fact 
that wearing masks, especially those uh, surgical masks that we use in, in the hospitals or in the primary healthcare setting, uh, really do reduce the chance of transmission. However, um, scarves, you know, these homemade sort of masks people are making now will all reduce that chance of transmission happening. But it goes back to what the government are telling us at the moment about staying alert. Um, if you have symptoms, you should be self-isolating. So therefore, if people are doing as they're told and are self-isolating, again, that further reduces that risk of transmission, i.e. someone going out with symptoms, wearing a mask, they probably are at more risk, obviously, of spreading the, uh, spreading the disease. So it's an element of pragmatism. Masks do work. The evidence there does demonstrate that people wearing masks um, reduces the chance of transmission. Um, these people who are very much anti-mask at the moment, uh, you hear a lot of the moment about the fact it reduces oxygen levels, wah, 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 wah. Um, there is no evidence for that whatsoever. You know, I've worn masks at work all day long and my saturations remained at 99%. Um, so, so they do work, they are effective, and they are a mitigator to reduce the risk of transmission. There you go. Uh, no, enough said. I don't need to say any more on that. <laughs> <laughs> And be the lesson. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next question. Um, there is, there's a lot of people who are saying, go back to school, get the kids back into school because kids can't uh, spread the virus anyway or are much less likely to. How much truth is there in that Statement, and, and and I'm saying that particularly based on some of the things that uh, our uh, Mr. Donald Trump has said from over the pond. Yeah, well, again, it goes back to the fact, and I think we, you know, there's a disclaimer here. Really, you know, this is a a, a novel coronavirus. It's a new virus, so the level of you know of knowledge and understanding that we have is still developing as as the pandemic moves along, uh, and we are now finding out a lot more about the virus and understanding. Um, you know what it's like it's virility um etc so when it comes to kids it's very evident that children don't seem to be affected as much by the virus as those who are older um with obviously uh, pre-existing health conditions but what we don't know at the moment fully is whether or not children can sort of transmit the virus A pragmatist within me um Children, I think, potentially, and this is according to me, uh, can carry, potentially could carry the virus and therefore put other people at risk. And that is what we need to bear in mind. Um, we know that there's a lot of asymptomatic patients and asymptomatic carriers. So those who are spreading the virus with no symptoms whatsoever. And this could be said for children, teenagers. Um, however, we also need to put it into perspective. You know, we have been in lockdown. Majority of children haven't been in school uh, by those key workers and those of uh, of the particular age groups that are allowed. So the, the chance of transmission is quite low. When you look at the evidence as well, the amount of teachers who have contracted uh, coronavirus, there, there, there is very few or there's little evidence to suggest that many teachers have, have, have had it. Um, again, the one thing that will be supportive in this is the uh, test and trace. So I think as soon as testing becomes more more um, wider in terms of its capacity, and I don't know if you've heard in the news today, um, but they've now developed uh, a test that only takes 90 minutes, so an hour and a half, and the test will be there. And already the government are looking at whether to push that out to school. So answering your question, yes, children can transmit it, 
because they could be asymptomatic, but the level of knowledge and understanding that we have is still very limited. So it'd be very hard to say uh, any, you know, fast law on that at the moment. Well, I always find it funny. We, we did an interview with um, Russell Kane a few weeks ago, and he was saying how the idea, the notion that children don't carry the virus so much is, 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 a, is a crazy mindset insofar as we're wiping down Amazon parcels before they come in the house, but we're happy to send our kids to school, these snotballs, germ-carrying kids, but we're wiping down the Amazon package. Like perspective yeah and, and i think you know the, the element here is the fact when you actually look at you know so my two have been at school uh, as key workers children um and there's been no cases at the school so you know you've got to you know it's all about perspective it's all about what the schools are doing i can safely say that schools are doing a really 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 grand job at ensuring that it's a corona you know a secure uh, location um you know, the bubbles that they're introducing all, again, reduces that chance of, of transmission. And if anyone is, in, if anyone is symptomatic, um, then again, the testing and the tracing is key to really stopping that from uh, escalating to, uh, to a, a wider outbreak. But again, as I said before, the amount of knowledge we have on that with children is limited at this point. And that's it, that is what it comes down to. I mean, that's the caveat over all of this conversation, I guess, is that it's, it's what, this, what all of these things are, are doing is, is reducing risk, not eliminating risk, but just reducing it as much as we possibly can. Um, exactly. Okay, so the next question. Can you get coronavirus more than once? Once you've had it, can you get it again? Right. So from personal experience, as our well knows, I actually had positive coronavirus in April. Um, uh, yeah, I was uh, I was diagnosed with coronavirus uh, early April and had a very bizarre um, swab a couple of months, a uh, month ago now where it came up positive again. But I had no symptoms uh, and they think it was potentially a false positive. Um, so... Evidence at the moment would suggest, and Public Health England have already identified the fact that there are some people who have had it once who are then testing positive again three months down the line. Now, there's a caveat here. We still don't know whether that is virus which is dead, which is being picked up. So, so dead virus that's remaining in the uh, in the mucosa or up the, up the sinuses. Um, or is it a, a new infection, i.e. they've become reinfected? Um, and again, it goes back to, you know, the disclaimer, we still don't know for sure. And this is work that's, you know, and studies are being undertaken to try and look at that. Um, so I could arg- arguably say that potentially, yes, people could be reinfected again. And that goes back to the fact that there's been this real sort of evidential discussion about herd immunity, that if everyone gets it, we'll all be fine. The reality is some of the studies already are showing that those people who've had antibodies, so they've got the antibodies against coronavirus, generally lose them at 28 days, or they are generally very reduced at the three-month period. So if you've lost those antibodies, and if those antibodies have any immunity or any immune response for you, you could therefore then become reinfected. So we don't even know whether the antibodies that we've got are sufficient to fight any virus that's there. I think the plus side is that the vaccination programmes at the moment that are taking place, and Oxford is a prime example, um, the work being undertaken at Oxford University, they've had really positive results on the uh, immune response. So, so, you know, that is a real good positive step forward. But uh, going back to the question, 
you know, arguably, yes, you could be reinfected if you haven't got the antibodies. Okay. So this next question is is based around um, Ted and his great concern for our miniature Dachshund patch. (laughs) (laughs) And he's often saying, Daddy, what happens if patch gets coronavirus? (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, the question we've had that with ours as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very it's valid a, question for a five-year-old. It's a valid point. Yeah. So um, the question is, can animals spread the virus? And I guess the context here is obviously the 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 word on the street is that this originated from the animal um, market over in China in Wuhan yeah. from bats, if I remember rightly. So it's zoonotic as a virus. So it's obviously spread from from animals to humans. Uh, You know, as it stands at the moment, um, the Royal Veterinary College um, have made it very clear that they they don't feel or they don't think at this juncture that it can be spread through animals. However, you've probably seen in the news that there was a dog in America that had tested positive for coronavirus. They have come to suggest, and they they have suggested what from that one case, that that dog was not able to pass the virus on. Um... Again, it goes back to our initial discussion. We still don't know for sure with this virus. Um, but there haven't been many, there's only been that one case that has been identified at this point where, you know, an animal has tested positive for coronavirus. And with that, we don't even know whether that means that they can still pass it on. So, so it is very, very unlikely. It is very, very, you know, it would be very rare for that to happen. But at the moment, again, until more studies have been undertaken and there's more evidence, uh, it is really hard to say. But at this point, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I I don't know if it's just me, but I'm sceptical because it was a dog in America and not obviously not talking about Melania Trump here. Um, but my my concern no. is <laughs> my concern is I don't know like I feel like there's an American guy somewhere who goes hey I I, I really hope my dog or I want my dog to get coronavirus and then then I'll make the news and I I don't know I just don't know whether it's <laughs> it's real like I'm sure it is and I but it just feels like because it's America and I just have a little bit of a probably stereotype I think here. You're wrong. Well, I, well, uh, you know, having worked with the Americans quite a lot, I love them. I love them to bits. Um, but I think at the moment, and I think one thing, you know, internationally, you know, there is a lot of fake news out there with regards to coronavirus. Um, and some of the stories you read, especially on, you know, um, certain social media sites, you know, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. You know, the, the guidance that we should really be looking at is that that's coming from the government through Public Health England, um, where it's evidential. Uh, and, you know, there is a lot of myths and there are a lot of false, you know, news reports on on the virus so we do have to be very careful because it is a scary thing you know it it is a scary thing and for children especially you know looking at their animals oh daddy as ted said can this be passed on and you know we don't know at the moment but again there has been limited limited cases so I, i don't think it's something that we need to worry about at this point Okay, 
Okay, so the last kind of um, question, we, we've got some questions in a minute that is much more specific. Some members of Dadsnet have actually written in questions that are, a little, that are very relevant to a lot of people, but also their own experience. But the last question that I wanted to throw your direction um, was um, about the hot weather. Obviously, we're in the summer now, and the question is whether the weather, the hot weather will stop the virus. Will it kill off the virus? Will it... Will it reduce numbers of people contracting the virus. Okay, so the two elements of this, there's environmental and then there's the, the virus itself. So environmentally, because the weather's nice, people are outdoors, which is great. Um, so people are outdoors and they are social distancing and behaving because of the good weather, the chance of transmission is reduced. The virus will not go because it's hot. The virus is still there. The only thing um, that people need to be aware of is the fact that UV, so ultraviolet rays, can inactivate the virus. So for instance, if you had virus on your hands, put it on a swing out in the park, the sun was beating down on it, there is a good chance that that virus will become inactivated because of the UV. Um, however, that still doesn't mean we shouldn't be taking the precautionary measures that have been stipulated by the government, i.e. good hand washing, um, you know, um, washing our hands, washing the areas that we're, we're, we're touching, uh, and secondly, making sure that we're wearing masks when we're out uh, where we can, and obviously social distancing to reduce the uh, the risk of transmission. Yeah. Okay. Helpful. Right. Okay. So this first one, these are all anonymized. Um, the first question from one of the Dasnet members it says this: I'm 47, overweight, and have type two diabetes. How worried should I be? Okay. So so again, it, it goes all back down to what we were saying before. You know, if you are washing your hands, if you are social distancing, and uh, you know, adhering to the guidance that's um, that's been uh, stated by the government, you know, the risks associated to you are reduced. However, we know that, uh, and a lot of studies through the Lancet have identified, and you know, through a lot of the hospital reports that are coming out uh, from the initial sort of peak that we had, um, has really demonstrated the fact that those people who have got uh, comorbidities, so issues such as diabetes, lung disease, uh, heart disease, so cardiovascular disease, are more at risk. Um, so if you are overweight, if you have diabetes, you are at more risk of having a severe illness compared to those who are probably more of a normal healthy weight, um, where they might not have such a severe reaction to, to, to the disease itself. So yes, th there are two elements to this. You are at risk due to the fact you are diabetic and you are overweight. Um, however, if you practice good social distancing, good hand washing, um, your risks are therefore reduced. Um, again, one good thing that's coming out at the moment from this, I think, is the, is the real importance to really focus on our health. And I think one thing that's come from this uh, pandemic is the need for people to really stop and re-examine their, their lifestyle choices. Um, and as we know, as a type 2 diabetic, if you exercise, if you can reduce down, uh, if you can reduce your weight um, and get a healthy, stabilised blood sugar level, you know, you can have a normal active life as anyone else. And that will also then reduce your risks. Um, again, going back to it, you know, the, the, it appears to be at this point, and a lot of the evidence seems to show that those people who've got high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, uh, seem to be really um, suffering more severe illness. Um, however, you know, I think 
It goes back to what we said before. There are a lot of unknowns about this disease. Um, but those individuals who have pre-existing health conditions with additional weight, so if you're overweight, you are you are at risk. Um, so you do need to be really careful uh, in terms of your, your practicing. And, and again, it goes back to stay alert and practice the uh, all the advice that you're being given. Okay, great. Next question, um, which I think is really relevant to anyone of any age. It says this, um, we want our daughter, who's five months, to bond with family and to get used to being left for a short while with them. Just how risky is it for her and family members to have cuddles and play together? Okay, so this is a real difficult one. You know, at the end of the day, you know, my, I give an example this weekend, my parents came down for the first time to stay with us um, to see our see our children, but we social distanced. Um because what we don't, you know, what we're trying to do is reduce, again, that risk of transmission. Um, the one thing, the household issue, uh, is probably the most risky with regards to transmission risk, um, due to the fact you're in an enclosed space. So, arguably, if your family member is a part of your bubble, then the hugging, etc., is not an issue, because the bubble is there to allow for that to happen. Um if, however, your family member is not in your bubble, then you should really be practicing social distancing within the home. Um, remember, as, as the guidance says, another household can come into your house as long as you social distance. So again, it's about the individual risk assessing what they feel is right or wrong. But if they're a part of the bubble, then it shouldn't really matter. And if your children have been in lockdown anyway, the chance of them obviously having the virus is reduced even more. So again, it all goes back to that risk mitigation and risk assessment and being quite sensible when you look at it. And not, I guess, not opening up to lots of family members, but perhaps just picking direct grandparents. You've got it. And it goes back to that bubble and the household thing, you know. So if they're a part of your bubble, then it shouldn't be, you know, it's not an issue. Um, If they are not in your bubble and they're a household member coming in, um, then you need to think about social distancing. The last question, um, which which I think is I think is fairly loaded, but we don't have to go down that route if you don't want to. Um, but the question is this: for COVID nineteen to go down as the cause of death, what is the process? And I think what he's this what this individual is trying to get at here is that. Some people might die or, or might have died of um, a heart attack or um, other cardiovascular issues, but also had COVID-19 that might have just sped that up or whatever. And I guess that's his question. Like, how many of the death toll is actually purely because of COVID-19 as opposed to other ailments? OK, again, very much a loaded question. Thank you very much for this one, Al. Um, and it is, you know, it's, it's, this has to be probably very diplomatic because it's, it's quite a moral and ethical question as well. Um, realistically, if the pathologist has done the post-mortem and has identified that COVID was the cause of death, because you've also got to remember is COVID, as we've already alluded to, has affected the lungs, it's affected the heart, it's affected the kidneys. There's a, there's a lot of evidence that it's affecting people neurologically. Um, it has had very profound effects on the, the organs and, and our, our internal system. So although an individual might have died of a heart attack, as you've alluded to, 
It could be the fact that COVID and the fact they had COVID was a contributing factor to that individual having the heart attack. Um, so it's a very thin line um, and we have to be very sensible with this. But a, you know, a, a post-mortem that is conducted by the coroner will identify or the pathologist will identify an effective cause of death. And people have to have faith in the fact that that cause of death will be identified effectively. I, th- I think that's the question. You've got, to have, you've got to have faith in the system. And because it, it, it's, it, it seems crazy to think that there is someone in the government, for example, who is sending out communications with the pathologists or with the guys doing the postboard saying oh could yeah. you just inflate the numbers a little bit or do you know what i mean like i i just can't see how that is happening if that's what people are thinking um and, and that and that's the case really you know and that, that's it you've not needed on the head you know arguably medics nurses dentists everyone works every health allied healthcare professional works to their code of conduct um and therefore, they all take an oath and they will, you know, they, they are there to be trustworthy clinicians to give sound advice uh, and examination. So if on the death certificate, that is what is put on there, there is a really strong chance that was the cause of death. Um, yeah. Very much, you know, doctors aren't there uh, and neither are any other healthcare professional to, uh, to be uh, sort of coerced into uh, putting things that are inaccurate on, on death certificates. Um, and I can safely say that is definitely the case. <laughs> People are very, very sensible. And we've got some very, very experienced clinicians out there who are making these decisions. Um, so have faith in the healthcare. Have faith in the NHS. Uh, they're doing a grand job in a very difficult time. Yeah, amazing. Okay, I mean, that's great. I mean, we're going we're gonna to stop. Um, but that has been really useful. I feel like we've like bust some myths open whilst giving some really good solid advice to members of the DadsNet um, around the coronavirus. And, you know, who knows how long this is going to go on for. I think... I don't really like the term new normal, but it definitely feels like, you know, we're in an era now where we have to be very conscious of um, our health, like you've said, and also, you know, cleanliness and hygiene. And I think that um, that's that's been really useful. So, um, so yeah, I mean, thank you very much for your time. No, you're welcome. And I, I think that's interesting, you know, just to sort of finish it off is the new normal is here and it's going to be here for a while. Um what we've got to do is adapt, which we do really well. We've adapted well to the lockdown. Um, you know, it's about community. It's about looking out for one another. And I think if we do that, um, we will get through this. Uh, I think we've just got to focus on the fact we're not. it's not just being introverted, looking at yourself. It's looking out your actions affect other people around you. Um, so I think as long as we, you know, adhere to what we're being told, we will get through this, uh, you know, and we get through. We've got through a lot of stuff. Uh, this is just a little, little blip in the, uh, in the, in the life cycle of our gorgeous country, the UK. Huzzah! Absolutely. There you go. Well, you heard it here, Carl. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. And um, you're more than welcome. And uh, we'll we'll catch up soon. Definitely, Al. Thank you so much. Take care. So all that stuff that you heard in that pub beer garden, socially distanced, slightly pissed, now, now you know that it was all rollocks. Now, now you know the truth about about coronavirus, COVID-19. Now you know what's what, don't you? Yeah. And now you can go back into the beer garden and on social media and say, well, actually, according to the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't from social media slash Russia. This is straight from the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. 
with that with the expert. So now you know. Yeah. It, exactly, and it's not just for the record. It's not me and JK. It's not. It's not our advice. No. We don't know our asses from our elbows. Don't trust us. So. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed that. We hope that you um, got some benefit from it. And um, please spread the word. Please download. Please share. Please subscribe. And please rate us. And of course, leave us a non-shit review. And as you can tell, Al's feeling quite needy and vulnerable at the moment. Please, 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 please. Anyway, because uh, it's because it's a short summer episode, we may as well say. Oh, he's taking a sip of tea before he's supposed to do his. You've got one job, and that is to say. Goodbye. There oh, I it swallowed is. Well, I did swallow well, well in time. At least you swallowed. Anyway, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Quick. Cut it. End it there.